Welcome to Cornerstone Church of Parker and our Sunday service webcast, which is connecting you to God's Word anywhere over the internet. We're glad you're joining our webcast today and pray that God will minister to you as we share His good news in Christ Jesus. And now, with a message from God's Word, here's our speaker for today. Well, good morning. Welcome to Cornerstone Church. My name is Mike Jones. I have the privilege of being a lead pastor here. You guys are looking really good today. Looking good. I see some faces I haven't had a chance to meet. If you hang out just a few minutes after service, I'd love to greet you and learn your name and what brought you to Cornerstone Church this morning. Uh, We've been in a series studying the book of John, and it's called More Than a Man. Uh, Originally, John wrote uh, his gospel account at the behest of early church leaders. There had already been three gospel accounts of Jesus' life written, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they came to him and said, would you write a fourth account with a very specific purpose in mind? And see, there was a, a heresy, a false teaching going around at that time that Jesus was just a man, that he was a, a, a miracle worker, a, a great teacher, uh, but he definitely wasn't the son of God or uh, the source of eternal life or the savior of the world. And so John took up that challenge. And if you've listened to these sermons, I've covered each of these four themes uh, so far. Um, and interwoven through each of these uh, themes listed is this idea of belief. It's an overarching theme that John embeds within each of these other themes, basically asking each of us, well, what do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus was just a, a good man, a, a great teacher, a, a miracle worker, or was he more than that? Was he the Son of God? Was he the, the source of eternal life, the sender of the Spirit, and the Savior of the world? And so John embeds this in, in his book all throughout, which is probably one of the reasons why when someone comes to faith, we say, hey, you know what? The book of John is a really great place to start because it leads people to that sort of thinking. What do you believe about Jesus? You see, what a person believes about Jesus, whether or not he was more than a man, in John's eyes, separates believers from unbelievers. This is the the razor's edge, I guess you'd say. Anybody who's saying, well, no, he was just a good man. A lot of people in the world believe that. Jews, Muslims, Buddhists, oh, he was, he was a good man. He was a good teacher, but definitely not the son of God, definitely not the source of eternal life, okay? Versus on the other side, believers who say, no, no, he, he is more than a man. C.S. Lewis once said, I believe in Christ like I believe in the son, not because I can see it, but by it, I can see everything else. I really like that quote because it illustrates that how, or excuse me, what someone believes about Jesus influences how they see the rest of life, which is why this, this concept of belief is so central uh, to John's account of Jesus' life. And of all of John's writings, which include not only the book of John, but also three epistles in the book of Revelation, perhaps nothing highlights this idea of belief better than John 3.16, which is probably the most uh, well-known verse in all of the Bible. I mean, even unbelievers know John 3.16 or at least have a, a vague recognition of it. It's like, haven't I seen that here? Oh, oh, yeah, it's at the back of the end zone, you know? It's on a sign somewhere. They at least have this vague recognition of it, even though they may have never heard it. Uh, but let's look at that. That's a key verse today as we're in John 3. Open the, your Bible John chapter 3, verse 16. Probably know this by heart. 
let's look at it again. John chapter 3, verse 16. It says, For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Well, while a lot of people recognize John 3.16, what they probably don't uh, recognize or have a good understanding of is the context with, in which this verse is found. And so today I want to take time uh, to familiarize you with this greater context and in the process help you see that Jesus addresses two common misconceptions that people have that hinder them from believing that Jesus is more than a man. And at the center of this story is a man named Nicodemus. If you go back to the beginning of chapter 3, you'll probably find a title like I have. Here it says Jesus and Nicodemus. But in the very first verse, John says, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. Okay, and so uh, Nicodemus, he's a devout follower of Judaism. In fact, he's a member of the Jewish Supreme Court called the Sanhedrin. So he is uh, a religious leader. He's probably highly educated and probably fairly well respected, I, I would imagine, in his community. And he comes uh, after witnessing uh, Jesus's life. He's heard Jesus's teachings. He saw Jesus's miracles. And he's wondering, is Jesus really who he claims to be? And so in the dark of night, it says, verse 2, after, after dark one evening, Nicodemus came to speak with Jesus. And he wastes no time in stating what he and the other religious leaders knew about Jesus, namely that God had sent Jesus to teach them and that God was with Jesus. Look at verse 2. He says, Rabbi, which is a, a, a formal greeting there, like saying, Pastor, you know, just give it's like a formal recognition that Jesus is a, is a prominent teacher. He says, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And instead of like, well, thank you. You know, he does, Jesus just comes right back at him and says, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And so Jesus addresses immediately the first misconception that Nicodemus had and that a lot of people have today, and it hinders them from believing that Jesus is more than a man. And that misconception is that knowing is the same as believing. Knowing is not the same as believing, because if you read through verses 3 through 15, you will find that Jesus implies that only believing leads to a renewed and right relationship with God. And Jesus describes that experience as born again. If you look at verse 3 again, look at that. He says, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You will not experience God's influence in your life. You will not experience his power to, to change your relationships to make them more productive and make them more enjoyable. You will not experience that power if you only know of Christ. At this point, Nicodemus, he knew, and the other religious leaders, the same religious leaders who nailed him to a cross, they knew that Jesus was sent from God. They knew he was, uh, that God was with him, and yet they didn't believe. You know, there's a lot of people today who know about Jesus, even religious people. They acknowledge that, yeah, he was a good man, he was sent by God to, to help humanity, and yet they really don't believe that he was more than a man, and therefore they don't experience the abundant life that Jesus describes in his teaching. Jesus even says in verse 9, take a look at that with me. Verse 9, he says, Nicodemus asks, go back here, actually verse 8, he said, the wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you 
can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you, you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. And you can see in verse 10, Nicodemus is wrestling with this. He's saying, well, how are these things possible? Jesus says that, listen, you can't know this experience you, and you can't reap the benefits of it in the same way that you know how to write your name or tie your shoes or change a light bulb, right? Speaking of changing a light bulb, how many lawyers does it take to change a light bulb? Well, how many can you afford? And while we're talking about that, how many psychiatrists does it take to change a light bulb? Well, only one, but that light bulb has really got to want to change, I tell you that. And how many New Yorkers does it change, take to change a light bulb? But that's none of your stinking business, so don't even ask about it, okay? Listen, knowing is not the same as believing. We don't know Jesus and the power and the influence of the kingdom of God in our lives in the same way that we do changing a light bulb or anything like that, okay? Only believing that Jesus is more than a man will increase the quality of our relationships with God and others. And so Jesus continues his conversation with Nick. He continues to uh, address his misconceptions, the things that are hindering Nicodemus and others like him from believing. And that brings us back to uh, verse 16, the verse we started with. But it's actually in verse 17 that we see Jesus address the second misconception. Let's read those two verses together. It says, verse 16, For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, God sent his Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. The second misconception that people have people like Nicodemus, is that God's primary attitude towards them is judgmental. And Nicodemus would know exactly, especially being a member of the Jewish Supreme Court, he knows what judgment's all about. He knows the laws. He knows what God said in the, in, in the, in the Torah. He sees the laws and all the religious things. And if you break one, you break the entire law. And so he's, he knows, he's very familiar with what uh, judgment feels like and what it looks like. And so in his mind, he's thinking, unless I'm perfect, God judges me. And he's coming and approaching Jesus, faith in Christ in that same way. And yet Jesus is stating here that no, 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 that's, that's not God's primary attitude. Well, as a teacher, um, and as a dad of four kids, I watch a lot of kids' movies, okay? And as a teacher, one of my favorite uh, lines from a recent movie comes from a scene in the Lego Ninjago movies. Any other parents watch that with their kids? Yes, I see a few hands. I actually really like this movie. It's quite funny. And there's a scene from it called Back to School. And I, I want to show you. It's just about a minute long. Take a look at this. Good morning. Mom, hey, um, here's a thought. What if I didn't go to school today. What? Oh no, you don't want to miss school, honey. These are the best years of your life. Um, have you, have you been to high school? Cause, uh, it's judgy. Pretty judgy. Oh, honey, you just need to give them a chance to see the real you. Yeah, I don't think I can actually show people the real me. That's not true. All you've got to do is just show them the person you are on the inside. Right here, where it matters most Oh, and also, don't forget, if your dad attacks the city again today, just be sure to duck, duck and cover, cover until the until secret, secret ninjas, ninjas give the all clear. clear. Oh, and also, don't forget. Yeah? 
Have a happy birthday, honey. Thanks, Mom. You know, a lot of people, they experience that, that judginess in school. And as a teacher, I can tell you, yeah, it is, it is pretty judgy. Okay, and a lot of people feel like they can't step out into the light, show who they really are for fear of, of you know, retribution or something, and people hating on them, right? And so they naturally, they take this experience with other people into the relationship with God, and they think, if I come to God and show him who I really am, that, well, God is judgy. He's pretty judgy, you know. He's going to judge me, and he's not going to like me. And yet Jesus is stating here, Listen, that's not true. God's primary attitude towards all of us is one of love. In fact, look again at verse 17. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. And he loved the world so much that he gave his only son as a way to accomplish that. And so as we step into God's light and we see the sinfulness and the selfishness exposed and we come to grips and we look and we go, man, I, wow, I, God, how can you even, how can you love me when I have that attitude? How can you love me when I'm, when I'm doing this sort of a thing? And yet God is, it's not that he loves the sinfulness and the selfishness in us. It's that he loves the, our willingness to step out into his light, acknowledge where we're at and ask him for help. That's what he loves. He loves it when he, it's not like you're hiding anything from him. When you're standing in the dark, when you're doing stuff you know you ought not do and thinking stuff you ought not to think, and, you, and you're like, well, God doesn't know. No, that's, he knows. It's, it, will you t- acknowledge that he knows? And that's what he loves is when somebody comes out and he acknowledges that. Jesus repeats this uh, thought in John 16, 27, when he says, for the Father himself loves you dearly. Why? Because you love me and believe that I came from God. See, God's love is so great that he determined that eternal life would be offered to everyone who believes Jesus is more than a man. In fact, Jesus says in John 16, 29, this is the only, as in one, this is the only work that God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. He didn't give us seven steps to enlightenment or 12 steps or whatever your favorite number is. He didn't give you a book on aesthetic discipline. He didn't call you into this this place of like self-punishment or, or whatever. There's all sorts of wacky ideas of, that people have that, oh man, if I did this, I would, I would be, have favor with God. No. He says the only thing that brings favor with God is that you believe that Jesus is more than a man. And so Jesus says God's primary attitude towards humanity is one of love. And if you look at verse 18, look at that with me, please. He says that there is no judgment against anyone who believes. And so all of us, when we come to faith in Christ and we say, yeah, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that He's the source of eternal life. I believe that He is the the center of the Spirit and the Savior of the world. When we step forward, it's not that we step forward because we are perfect and somehow we've earned God's favor. We all step forward with that sinfulness and selfishness as we step into God's light. And it's not that we have done something to clean ourselves up or make ourselves righteous in God's eyes. It's simply that we step forward and God takes care of the rightness 
after that for us. We talk about the nothing but the blood, what can make us white as snow. It's that blood of Jesus that cleanses us. And then God, when God looks at you and I, he doesn't see any of that sinful and selfishness, even though we still act that way at times. He sees our faith in Christ in that sets us aside as one of his special people. Well, if that's true, then who is judged by God? Jesus answers this in verse 18. Look at that again with me. He says, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged. They've already been judged right now. Why? Because they do not believe in God's one and only son. John 16, 9 Jesus repeats this. He says, the world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. There's a certain obstinance in that verse. There's a certain, I am not going to believe. Whether you, you do miracles or not, Jesus, I'm not going to believe. Whether you change my, someone's life around me, I'm not going to believe. There's a certain obstinance that comes with that. And he's saying that's really the world's sin. And so we see that a person's belief in Jesus determines whether or not they are judged by God. Well, during the course of this conversation, Nicodemus, an experienced, highly educated religious leader, he's trying to, he's wrestling with these. He's trying to overcome these two misconceptions. They were hindering him from believing that Jesus was more than a man. And so Jesus addresses it. He cuts right to the point. And I think that even today, there's a lot of people that wrestle with these things. They, they wrestle with it. They, they think that knowing is the same as believing. They think that, uh, that God is judgmental towards them. And I hope that something I've shared so far it would be the catalyst to change that thinking. And if you're here today and you're like, you know what? I'd like to learn more about this. I'd like to sit down with you, Mike, and chat this out. If you go to our website and you click under the events tab, you're going to see a, an event called Coffee Conversations. And what I've done this fall um, at least over the next two months, is every week I've set aside time to go to get coffee with your tea or whatever it is you drink. Okay, we're going to meet downtown at Fika. It's usually Thursday nights around 7.30. If you can't make that, still send me an email and, and I'll try to arrange a time. But we can talk about this further if you'd like or any other faith conversation that you'd like to do. So go ahead and check that out and sign up for that. As we close today, I'd like to give you one last thing to think about as a point of application, and it comes from the last three verses in this section, 19 through 21. Go ahead and look at that with me. Let's read those. Uh, Jesus says, and the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. I find it really interesting that as Jesus continues his conversation, he links a person's belief, or in this case, unbelief, to their response to his light. And by light, Jesus is referring to his life. Okay? Jesus is talking about his life. You see, his, the way Jesus lived stood in such stark contrast to the way other people live their lives, especially how they would live their, naturally live their lives, that people respond to it in one of two ways, okay? And that, their response is what separates believers from unbelievers. And so I want you to take a moment to think about this and apply this to your own life. Jesus mentions unbelievers first, 
okay? He's talking in verse 19 and 20 about that. Psalm 10.4 says that most of the time, unbelievers in their pride do not seek God. In fact, they rarely, if ever, even think about God. And so Jesus says when they do encounter God, when they do step into his light and they see the contrast between their lives and Jesus, they respond with what? Look at verse 19, 20. They hate the light. They hate the light. They respond with hatred. Why? Because they don't want anybody to see their sinfulness and selfishness. Paul describes these people in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 4. Listen to this list. He says, these people are lovers of self, lovers of money. They're boastful, arrogant, revilers. They're disobedient to their parents. They're ungrateful. They're unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control. They're brutal, haters of, of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And so when these types of attitudes and actions are exposed, they hate whoever's exposing it because they oftentimes they're hiding behind these elaborate facades that make them look a whole lot better than they really are. And so they get really defensive. So you don't need to talk to me about that. Who are you? And they turn it around and they, they point their fingers and they make the conversation about anybody else other than themselves, right? It kind of reminds me of like dads talking to teenage sons. If you've got a teenage son, you know what I'm talking about, okay? If you're trying to correct your son, it seems like when we're teenagers, we just can't do wrong, right? And the dad says, you know, you've got a problem with avoiding personal accountability. And the son says, yeah, well, whose fault is that, right? How many of you parents have heard that before, right? Jeez. But we forget when we point the blame at someone else, we got one finger pointing at other people, but four of our fingers are pointing back at four, three, three, are pointing back at us. I had to do that count again, right? Because usually it's three. Yeah. But you get the idea what I'm saying. We point one person at others, three back at ourselves, and we forget that we need to take some time to examine ourselves rather than blame others, especially when someone, whether it be God or someone else, confronts us about an issue in our life. Look at verse 21. Jesus says that believers, they respond differently when someone comes to them about a sinful or selfish attitude, something that they're doing. He says, when a believer steps into a light, into his light, and they see the contrast between their life and his, they respond with humility. They respond with humility. Why? Because they've got nothing to hide and I think more importantly, if they really are doing something sinful or selfish, they, they want to know about it so that they can address it, right? They, they take it as a matter of prayer and they work on it. And so unbelievers hate and hide, whereas believers humbly open their lives up to examination and they, they work to change, right? This is the difference. So I'm talking about how do we respond to accountability? I think that's the application here. And the question I have for you this morning is, how do you respond when you're confronted about sinfulness or selfishness in your life? How do you respond when someone comes to you and says, you know what, you're being really narcissistic right now. You know, you're, 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 love, you're, too, you're too into money right now. Or you're, hey, do you realize that you're acting really arrogant? You know, you're, you know, you're being pretty disobedient to your parents. I think you better check that 
You know what? How come you don't want to work it out? Why are you irreconcilable? Why don't you want to make this marriage work? Why don't you want to put some effort into, into this? Hey, man, you shouldn't be gossiping about them, you know, especially to hurt them. Or, hey, uh, you know, you're acting kind of reckless or you're a little bit conceited right now. How do we, how do you respond when someone comes and speaks to you about something like that? How do you respond when the Holy Spirit prompts your heart? A lot of people think that, that conviction is a bad thing. They think it's a bad thing, and yet it's not a bad thing. It's kind of like a check engine on your car. If your car is about ready to explode, wouldn't you want to know that, right? The check engine light comes on and indicates, hey, you, you better pause a second Get something fixed before you continue forward. And that's exactly what conviction is. When people, they run from conviction. We don't hear a lot of preaching about that anymore. I don't know why. Because you know what? When, if we're doing something that's hurting someone else, breaking God's heart, breaking our spouse's heart, our children, our employees, employers, or any of our critical relationships, if we're doing something that's about to cause one of those relationships to explode, wouldn't you want to know about it? Aren't they valuable enough to where you would want the Holy Spirit to prompt you and go, hey man, um, do you know, you better check your work ethic or, hey, you know, you better check the way you talk to your wife. You better think about this. That's not a bad thing. And how do you respond when he does that? Do you ignore him or try to rationalize your behavior? Well, she was doing this or they're doing that. You know, I had to. I had to yell at her. I had to do this. I had to steal that. You know, someone else would have, so it should have been me first. You know, how often we rationalize our behaviors to kind of justify where we're at. Your response to him indicates whether you believe, how much, I guess, you believe that Jesus is more than a man. What about when someone else confronts you? Boy, I'm just saying, I don't know that we have enough people in our lives, most, most often, we don't have enough people in our lives that can come to us at any time and, and say, hey, I, I noticed this, you better pay attention to this, or at least, you should at least think about this, right? Our spouse, or maybe a boss, or somebody, you, how do you respond when someone comes and calls you into that light about an attitude or an action that you have? Do you respond with hatred or with humility? Is your first response one of defensiveness? Or do you take the matter to prayer to see if there's any, any truth in what you're saying? I, I want you to know you're not alone in this. I have felt checked at this at time. I had a, actually the, the very best principle. You guys know that I'm, a, I'm an educator and, um, and a, by day and a pastor by night, you know. Um, and so I had a principal come to me and he just asked me a question. It was like I worked in an inner city school and I told a pretty hard line because they were coming to me with not like basic discipline and respect. And so I was lovingly teaching them and walking through that. But I was, I was putting a lot of kids in detention that, that semester. And he's like, hey, why are you putting so many kids in de- detention? I got really defensive about this. I wrote, a, I was like, I'm like a lawyer. I should have been a lawyer, man. I was just like bah, 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 laying out my case against him, right? And he came to me and he's like, I, I'm on your side, man. I just wanted to know if, you could, if I could help you in any way. He's actually one of the very best principals and mentors I've ever had. And I learned from that. 
And so I'm asking you today, hey, how are you responding when someone comes to you? Are you hiding in the darkness or are you stepping into the light? Your response reveals a whole lot about how much you actually believe that Jesus is more than a man. You see, I think that when you and I not only know, but also believe that Jesus is more than a man, and when you and I truly believe that God's primary attitude towards us is one of love and not judgment, we're going to be a whole lot more likely to respond with humility rather than hatred, right? We're more likely to step into his light than hide in the darkness. And since this is true, the only reasons I could think of why a person who knows these things are true and still chooses to respond negatively to accountability is that one, they value that sinful or selfish thing more than the people that they're hurting. It's a value system. Or they're too proud to admit that they've made a mistake and they need to apologize. Either way, a person with these attitudes cannot experience a productive and enjoyable life. Most of all, they cannot please God, nor can they experience the type of eternal life that he wants to offer them. And so, in effect, Jesus is saying here, the degree to which a person believes that he is more than a man is the degree to which they will allow the Holy Spirit and others to speak into their lives and help them grow. It's a challenging thought, and I want you to think about it this week. On Wednesday, I'm going to be sending out a midweek devotion. I might send two this week. I've got enough material to do that, whether it's in print or on podcast. If you'd like to get that uh, midweek devotion or devotions, uh, just tear, uh, fill your information on the Connect card, put it in the little Connect box out there on the lobby desk. Taylor will get you on the email list, and that will come out to you on, probably on Wednesday. In John 16, 31, Jesus says, Do you believe Actually, he says, do you finally believe? Like, very emphatic, do you finally believe? After all of this, do you believe? And today I'm encouraging each one of us to ask ourselves, how much do we really believe in Jesus? Do we believe enough to address our misconceptions, reconsider our values, and to humbly welcome accountability? I hope the answer is yes. I'm encouraging each one of us to step out of the darkness and into God's light. Not just step out once, but to stay there and let the Holy Spirit and let people who love us speak into our lives and that we would embrace the challenge of becoming more like Jesus. For by doing so, we continually show that we believe Jesus is more than a man. Can we pray this morning? Would you stand with me? Lord, I just thank you for your conversation with Nicodemus. I, I think that we've all been there at one point or another We've had those misconceptions and, and probably others as well uh, that hinder us from, from believing in you or stepping into the light or letting the Holy Spirit and others that love us speak, speak into our lives. I, I pray that today something that I've shared would, would, bless, uh, would bless the people here today, Lord, that you would begin to work on us, God. We've all got stuff that we're working on. Begin to work on our hearts. And when you do, may we humbly respond. May we humbly respond that we could be close to you and close to those that love us. And, and if we're really honest, we, we really love them too. We need them. We need those in relationships in our lives. So help us, God. We, we look to you. And now I just pray a blessing over 
this congregation. God, a blessing upon their marriages, upon their relationships with their kids, over their work, God. Those that need jobs or those that are looking for promotions, Lord, those who are facing challenges in their work this week, God, or those who just simply need a little bit more margin in their life, I pray that you would intervene on their behalf. I pray that blessing of them right now. In Jesus' name, let it be. I thank you for that. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for watching over us. Go with us now. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for coming. If I didn't get a chance to greet you, please meet me by the door. Catch me as I'm walking around. I'd love to introduce myself and get to know you a little bit. God bless you all. We thank you for listening to this Sunday service webcast from Cornerstone Church of Parker in Parker, Colorado. We hope that His truth has enriched your life and inspires you to greater works in God's kingdom. We invite you to worship with us in our Sunday morning service or join in our other ministry events posted on cornerstonechurchofparker.org. Cornerstone Church, built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and connecting people to God, each other, and to our world.